to see you guys, and uh, good morning to everybody watching on the live stream too. Uh, welcome to St. James. I'm glad you're here. Uh, pray that God would meet with us this morning and continue transforming our hearts through the power of his word and with his Holy Spirit. Do some announcements real quick if we can. Uh, so first of all, uh, everything is back to normal schedule today. So uh, kids, Sunday school after the 1015 service, uh, for those of you who are going to have kids here. Um, adult Bible study at 12.30 today. Uh, we're working through Deuteronomy on Zoom, so if you're interested in participating in that, let me know. I can send you a link. At 11.30, youth confirmation is a go, and at 6 o'clock, new members class also is going to meet tonight. Uh, we are close to, I don't know how many of you are interested in participating in this, but you're more than welcome to show up at new members class, um, even if you haven't been uh, to the previous sessions. Uh, but I believe that tonight we're going to start discussing communion, which is something that uh, everybody's interested in. Uh, what is it? What does it mean? What's going on at communion? So if you want to join us for that, you're more than welcome. Uh, a couple more things. One is that beginning next week, uh, Tuesday morning at 6.30 a.m., we're going to start a men's Bible study here at church at 6.30. We're going to go from about 6.30 to 7.30. And we're going to work through the book uh, called Every Man's Battle, Winning the War on Sexual Temptation, One Victory at a Time. It's a fantastic book. Well, the title's fantastic. 
uh, because, uh, you know, people are kind of scared to, like, show up at a study like that because it's kind of admitting, you know, I need help with that. Uh, when everybody else in the whole universe also struggles with sexual temptation, too. Every Man's Battle is a great title for that. It's a safe uh, way to come and uh, grapple with this issue. So one will work, about, will work on issues of sexual morality and struggling with uh, temptation to sexual immorality, especially in a culture where uh, porn is so easily accessible. The other thing it does is it's going to help us uh, work on our marriages and loving our wives better. So if you're interested in participating in that, um, let me know. Shoot me an email or a text uh, or call me, and it's $10 for the book and the workbook. Um, and it'll take maybe uh, six or seven weeks to do that study on Tuesday mornings, and it'll be good. It's, uh, every time I work through that book, uh, it, it, it's super beneficial to me, and I know it will be, will be to you as well. Okay, uh, one more announcement. Uh, uh, we have, I'm not sure who all it's going to be, but it's going to be somebody named Stacy who's going to come and give you an announcement and maybe both Stacy's about stuff we've done in the past and stuff we're going to do in the future. Good morning. Yes, we have two Stacy's helping in youth group. It's fabulous. Uh, we're going to give you a little update on the homeless outreach mission that we just recently participated in. And I'm also going to give you an update on our shoe boxes, where they went. Good morning. So um, we had the most fabulous opportunity in early December. For those of you that remember, we did a drive for hats, gloves, and scarves. And we took those to the community care center over in Granite City. They're a homeless outreach group. They're fantastic. Um, it was a little intimidating to go over there. You walk up to this very huge warehouse-type building, and um, there's this little courtyard, and that's where they all gather. And uh, Ravinelli's provided this wonderful warm meal, and um, they came. They shopped in their thrift store for essentials that they might need. Um, and this is an ongoing mission that I think several of us really feel called to continue to do. If you have any interest at all, I want you to reach out to me or to Stacy because we can hook you up. Um, but they would benefit, if you feel an ongoing call in your heart to do this, they would benefit from care packages, which are just like a, a big Ziploc bag filled with a, a tiny toothbrush and toothpaste, uh, toiletries, deodorant, uh, anything that they can use to feel normal, because their lives are so not normal. Um, we we brought out tables, and we filled them with blankets and coats and clothing. And then at, it was Christmas dinner with Ravinelli's, and I'm telling you, the food smelled amazing. I didn't taste it, but it looked really good. The homemade mac and cheese, I don't know. I think I'm going to be going there. Um, but the, they were able to have a warm meal, and then we presented them each with a gift, which was the wrapped scarf, glove, and hats that we provided. We collected 79 items. They were all wrapped. Um, we had 24 people from this congregation show up to help, correct? And then overall, probably 50 people there serving these folks who have no normalcy in their lives. Um, it was really moving. It was very, it's a neat opportunity. If you want your children to be exposed to how other people in this world live, I would highly encourage you consider this. The grainies are my, like, my shout out this morning. Mr. Grainy was in the kitchen making hot chocolate, and the kids were bringing the hot chocolate out, and Amy was serving with the clothes, and, and we all just worked as a group, and it was a really lovely opportunity. So, um, 
That's one tiny little local mission that your youth group is working on. We're building towards bigger and better things that Stacy will be talking about with you over the coming weeks. But I just want to invite you, if your heart is in this, reach out to me, reach out to Stacy, and we will get you in the right direction. Thank you. Okay, quick update on the shoeboxes. They were shipped on December 10th, and they're headed to the Ukraine. So that's where your boxes have gone. I would ask you to continue to pray for the boys and girls who are going to get those boxes, that the workers who are handing them out and spreading the gospel message, that it would just really take root in their heart and they would see the love of Jesus. But thank you, everybody, for helping with both of those big things. Um, I am going back to the outreach on Saturday just to serve. And any teenagers who want to come with me, any of you who would like to come, it's from 1230 to 3 out in Granite City at the Community Care Center. Um, so thank you. Thank you, Stacy's. Okay, let's stand and we'll begin worship. <clears throat> let's begin in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's confess our sin to God. O oh Lord, great God, all holy, Father most gracious, filled with mercy and steadfast love. We are embarrassed to come before you, for we have rebelled against your wisdom and have gotten into trouble. For we have rejected your fatherly guidance and have gotten lost altogether, and therefore we are embarrassed. To you belongs righteousness, O Lord, and to us confusion of face. O Lord, great God, all holy, Father, most gracious, filled with mercy and steadfast love. Incline your ear to our troubles. Hear us when we pour out our sorrows before you. Forgive us, not on the ground of our own righteousness, but on the ground of your great mercy, on the ground of your great mercy in the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. It is in his name that we pray, for he is our Savior and the mediator of the covenant of grace. Amen. Because of Jesus, God has forgiven all our sin. Hear the gospel of Christ from Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Amen. From Psalm 147. Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant and a song of praise is fitting. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear Him and those who hope in His steadfast love. Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion. Glory be to the Father and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. You may be seated. Old Testament reading for 1 Kings 3. This is the story of Solomon asking for wisdom. The king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. And at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, You've shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you've kept for him this great and steadfast love, 
and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you've made your servant king in place of David my father. Although I am but a little child, do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who's able to govern this, your great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, Because you've asked this, and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right. Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has been before you, and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. And Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream. And then he came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord and offered up burnt offerings and peace offerings and made a feast for all his servants. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Epistle reading is Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. And this text is so rich, I, I, almost, I almost feel bad like just reading it and not stopping and explaining it. But that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to just read, read straight through it and I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to take what's said here and stamp it on our hearts, because there's just so much here. Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us, in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, chapter 2. Now, uh, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem, searching for him. And after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they didn't understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth, Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. This is the gospel of the Lord. This is a, I mean, this is a fun uh, story. People, I, people, I say people, I mean, who knows? Uh, I always kind of want to know, like, what was, what was Jesus' life like beyond, like, his ministry? Like, he just seems like everything he's doing is so important. What was his life like as a child? You know, what did, his, you know, what did he do in his free time? What, what kind of sense of humor did he have? Like, what did his mom and dad think about him? What did his brothers and sisters think about him? You know, what, what sport did he play when he was a kid and stuff like that. We don't really get a whole lot of that in the, in, in the Bible. The uh, New Testament writers, are, the gospel writers are very clear. Luke and John especially are very clear that they have curated the story of Jesus to make specific points and left out a bunch of stuff. You know, uh, I could, like one of John says, I could fill tons of books left with uh, stories I've got that I'm not telling you. Well, what are those stories? You, know, you kind of want to know. Well, it's a little bit of a peek behind what Jesus' life is like with his parents. So last, last week, we, we ended with Jesus being presented at the temple, and then him growing up is what Luke ends with. You know, he grows, he starts growing. And uh, This week, we're jumping forward 12 years. He's 12 years old now, and they're going to Passover, which Jews who could would get to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover at the temple. And um, they go up there, and they celebrate, and then they're going home. It's about a three-day walk from Jerusalem to Nazareth, um, 20 to 25 miles a day. And um, parents, they, 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 they take off, and after the, they, the first night, they realize at the end of the day 
that Jesus isn't there. You guys have heard this before, too. That's not super weird. Um, it would have been a huge group that went with them and probably just assumed he was hanging out with cousins or with friends. And th that night, though, they realize he's not there. And so they turn around and go back to Jerusalem to look for him. Some of you have been there. You've you know, lost a child and you know, the, the panic that they must have been feeling. This must have been a long 25-mile uh, walk back to Jerusalem. And on the third day, they find him. So it's probably one day out. It's what, what Luke means. One day out, going back home. The second day, turning around and going back. And then the third day, finding him in the temple. And when they find him there, he's talking to the teachers, and, uh, which is this is the way that rabbis taught students, is question and answer sessions. And the answers that Jesus gives and the questions that he gives back are super insightful. Everybody's kind of amazed that this kid has a super great handle. He's got wisdom. That's the word that's used here is that he's, a, he's growing in wisdom, right? But his mom and dad aren't too happy with him. And so they say, we'll pick this up in verse 48. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. Why, why did you do this to us? We've been searching for you in great distress. It's interesting that Mary didn't say, why, how could I leave my child? How could I, how could I leave a whole day? What kind of mother am I? She instantly blames Jesus for it, right? There's a fam famous story in my family of um, Reeve, my youngest, when she was baptized, she's two and a half months old, and um, it was uh, actually, it was the Sunday after Christmas, and uh, going to church that morning and dropped the family off at the front door of the church because it's cold, and went and parked and went in. I, I went in and sat down, went into to adult Bible study, and got in there into adult Bible study before I realized that I had left Reeve in the car, you know, and she just said was falling asleep and. So I, I see on your faces that I should not have told that story. And so I, you know, I, th I thought I might get a laugh out of that, and instead I got like looks of horror, like, what kind of sicko are you? I, I didn't go to Reeve and say to her, how could you do this to me? You know, I clearly knew it was my fault. Mary's got a choice. She can either say, this is my fault, you know, I, I, I'm a bad mother. I didn't check to see if my son was in the car. It's a home alone situation, you know. I didn't check and see if my, my son was in the car on the road trip. Um, or she can blame Jesus. But the answer that Jesus gives basically said, one of the things it says is the question of who's right or wrong here is missing the point. This is where I had to be. It's, it's, not, it's not you're right or I'm right or you're wrong or I'm wrong. Uh, this is where I had to be. It's the wrong question. Let me get at it this way. Luke tells, so this story that Luke tells comes at the beginning of the Gospel of Luke. Luke is creating a frame here. At the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, he tells this story. He tells another story at the end, which I feel like I reference at least once a month in my sermons. And in both of these stories, it's the road to Emmaus story, of Jesus meeting with the disciples on the road to Emmaus after his resurrection. And in both of those stories, there's two people that are distraught because Jesus has not done what they thought he should do or was going to do. You know, in the first story, it's his parents who, how could you, son, abandon us and do this to us. In the last story, the road to Emmaus story, these two disciples who don't recognize Jesus yet are distraught because they thought Jesus was going to be the Messiah, and then it turns out he's a fake Messiah. He got killed. 
You know, we were, we were hoping he was going to be the one to redeem Israel, they said, and, and, and he wasn't. And in both cases, it's interesting, in both cases, Jesus uses the same, almost the same identical phrase. Now, it doesn't come out in the ESV, which is in your bulletin here. But in both cases, he says, don't you know that it's necessary that, in our story, it's necessary that I be in my father's house? Here it says must. But in, in Greek, it says literally, don't you know that it's necessary that I be in my father's house? In the, in the Road to Emmaus story, he says to the disciples, don't you know that it's necessary that the Messiah must suffer? Well, what's Luke doing by putting these two stories as frames, you know, as the front porch and the back porch on his gospel? What is he doing? Well, one of the things he's saying is this, is that Jesus is not going to do what you think he's going to do. Jesus will not do the expected. Jesus is too big to fit into your pocket. You can't, you can't manage him. It's not like there's magical words. He's not a genie. It's not like if you rub the Jesus lamp a certain way and say the right words, he pops out and does stuff. He's not a tame lion. He does whatever he wants. And he, he almost always does the unexpected. Part of this is that he likes drama. Part of this is he wants glory. He wants people to look at him and say, I didn't see that coming. That's unbelievable. I showed my daughter last night. I showed my daughter North by Northwest for the first time because she's kind of like she's watched a couple of Hitchcock films. And, and the joy of a Hitchcock film, you know, is like that. And she said to me, she's like, I don't like that girl. But we don't, you know, the, 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 the girl, the, the, the main female lead, but we're not really sure why. I don't like her. She, there's something wrong about her. And then you find out she's a spy working for the communist. And then you're like, yes. I knew, I knew it. That's how. It, and then you find out, no, 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 she's actually a spy working for the U.S. who's behind lines in the communist. And it's like twisting you around, and the unexpected is what Hitchcock does. And it would be an embarrassment to say that, like, Jesus is not a better writer of drama than Hitchcock. He loves to do the unexpected. He loves to not show up where you think he's, where he, you think he's going to be and to show up where you think he's not going to be. This is one of the things that Mary has to grapple with. Now listen, this is, one, this is one of the keys. One, one more a biblical example real quick here, and then we'll make a little bit of application hay with it. This is the key to understanding the book of Job, right? Is that, you know, so Mary's like, Jesus, this is your fault. Jesus is like, no, it's, this, is, this is where I'm supposed to be. Don't you know? I had to, Job's friends say to him, clearly, Job, this one's on you. Like, God doesn't punish, God doesn't do bad stuff to people for no reason. This is on you. And Job's like, no, it's not on me. I didn't do anything wrong. It's on him, except he won't answer for himself. You know, he's just silent when I talk to him about it. And then God comes at the end, and what does God say? Wrong question. I do what I want to do. I'm the creator, and I do what I want to do. I, I'm not beholden to anybody. The, Job, right? Me and you too, though. I, I talk to some of you sometimes, and... Sometimes you say it explicitly. Sometimes it's the subtext behind what you're saying to me is, what did I do wrong to cause fill in the blank to happen in my life? Like, what, what, is, is, is some guy got God upset with me? What did I do wrong? Now, less common in church, but more common outside of the walls is, I can't believe in a God who would do X, Y. You know, so you see how one is like, what did I do wrong to make X happen? The other one is, like, I can't believe that horrible God would make X happen. 
But the thing is, is that you didn't do anything wrong. Necessarily. I'm not saying that you know, we're, we're all sinners. I'm not saying that you didn't do anything wrong to bring the stuff in your life upon you, necessarily. God's not doing anything wrong. It's just that God does what God does. And sometimes that's dramatic. And part of being a mature Christian is learning to grapple with the fact that sometimes the story that he's writing is going to involve three days of horror that you've lost your son. And that's just a part of living in the story of drama. If it was nice and smooth and easy and we were all happy, it wouldn't be a story of drama. And he wants the glory of a story of drama. Now, some of you might be saying, maybe you're not, maybe I'm just saying this because I'm trying to transition to the next point, which is probably, probably what I'm doing. Um, well, okay, so that's great. I, maybe, I can, maybe those of you who are Christians can say, okay, so I can, maybe tr- I, I can trust God, okay? So God does what he wants and Jesus does the unexpected and he's going to do something crazy good, and it might look bad, and you just can't, you don't know what Jesus is going to do. My issues, though, are actually with the people that are in my life. I know what they're doing, you know. That's not my, my issue isn't the God who I can't see. My issue is the people that live in my house that I can see, the people in my office who I can see. What do I do about that? Okay, let's go to Mary, because that's Mary's issue, right? Mary's living with this guy who she can't control, and it's bugging her. Let's look at Mary here. There's, there's, uh, you know, so this is interesting, too, to me. Like, sometimes biblical characters might feel, we, we want more, you know. What was Mary really like? Well, you can actually get a lot out of these stories just by seeing what her reactions are. And look at the emotions that she's going through. She's, so there's three emotions in this story that she kind of races through pretty quick here. There's distress, then there's confusion, and then there's like a valuing of the situation. Starts off with distress, moves to confusion, and then she learns to sort of value the whole scenario, right? So first of all, distress. Looking back in verse 48. Uh, they're astonished, and his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. What's her distress? Okay, so you're saying, she would say maybe, she would say, well, my distress is I lost my son. And I didn't know where he was. C- certainly, that's part of it. Anybody, all of you who are parents know that, that the, the great distress in uh, having children is that they don't do what you want them to do. They don't, they, they, they do the unexpected, right? You cannot, you can't train your kids like a pet monkey to dance when you snap your fingers. You just can't do it. They, they do, they're, they're their own free agents. Uh, this is super frustrating. It's also, I know for a fact, because I, I have parents and I watch my kids, that it's really, really frustrating to have parents as a kid, you know, because uh, it's the same thing. They do what they want to do. Like, I tell, I tell Harry what to do, and I say, Harry, here's what I want you to do. And he doesn't do it, and I'm like, get frustrated, you know. And Harry says to me, hey, Dad, can you help me with this? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'll be there in a few minutes. And then I don't show up for a couple hours, and he's, like, really frustrated because I, I don't do what he wants me to do, and he doesn't do what I want him to do, and that's what Mary's going through, right? That's a, it's a distress. I mean, you couple that with the, the, the fear of a lost son, too. But basically, like, the... Actually, it's not even subtext. She basically says it. How could you do this to me and your father? This is, you're doing this to the family unit. Your father and I are your parents. You shouldn't be doing this to us. Jesus' response, though, doesn't actually answer her question necessarily. It just adds confusion because he says to her, why were you looking for me? He, by the way, he probably means by that. He doesn't mean like, what are you looking for me for? He, there, there's parents. Obviously, they're going to be looking for him. He does, what he means is, you didn't need to be looking around for me. You could have just come straight here. You, you knew I was going to be here in the temple. You knew I was going to be my father's son. That's what he means. He's not saying you have no right to look for me. He's just saying it's simple to find me. I, I was going to be here all the time. 
Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. Why didn't they understand it? Here's why. Because Mary says to him, hey, you need to be in your father's house. And Jesus says to her, but you have to understand that it's necessary for me to be in my father's house. They're like, what? But you guys, of course, know that what Mary and Joseph mean by Jesus' father's house, their house, is something different than what Jesus means. He means, I was going to point up in the Jewish mindset, God's not up there, God's in the temple, that I must be here in my father's house. And so they're confused because, and here's the reason why, is because Jesus is telling them, I have a higher allegiance than to you. You are my parents, but I have a capital F father to whom I am more loyal than I am to you. That's a hard thing for a mom to hear. Is I, I, I need to not be in your house. I need to be in my father's house. That's a hard thing for a mom to hear. And it was confusing too. Like She just didn't understand it for a while. But what's, what's going to have to happen here for Mary to get it is that what Jesus is trying to teach her is that she needs to come to grips with the fact that Jesus has a higher allegiance than to her. There's somebody that he belongs to more closely than to her. And for us, it's going to be the same. Now, I know Jesus is a special category because his relationship with the Father is eternal, and it's uh, uh, one in essence, and you and I aren't eternal, and our essence isn't one with the Father. But the lessons that we have to learn from this are the same, and that is, is that our kids have a higher allegiance than the allegiance they have to us. And you, I'm talking to parents now, you have a higher allegiance to your kids. There's someone that you need to love more than your kids. Your friends have a higher allegiance to somebody else than to you. And you should have a higher allegiance, you have a higher allegiance than you do to them. And so Jesus says this, says it, he says it frequently in the, in the New Testament, and sometimes it's kind of a slap in your face. Kind of, I mean, this is kind of a slap in your face, too, if you're his mom, right? But sometimes he'll say things like, anybody who doesn't hate their mother and their father and their brother and their sister, for my name's sake, is no disciple of mine. That's a crazy thing to say. And you've heard lots of sermons saying, well, he doesn't really mean hate, you know. Okay, I, you know, I, I agree with that. But, but don't, let the, don't let the rhetorical force of that language be diminished. Like your relationship with God should be, should be such that you sit loose to your family. Your relationship with God should be such that you should sit loose, that, that, that the love that you have for your kids is less than the love that you have for God, that the love you have, for, you have for your friends is less than the love that you have for God. The love you have for your spouse is less than the love that you have for God. The love that you have for your parents is the less, less than the love that you have for your God. That's the point here. Because, now let's move into valuing. You know, because she eventually is going to get it. It's going, to be, it's going to be a lifelong struggle for Mary. But she's eventually going to get it. It says in verse 51b, look at this. His mother treasured up all these things in her heart. When she does get it, she starts to process it. She starts to see what, what it means. and She starts to love it. And she starts to hold on to it. And she starts to use it to interpret what her son is doing. She's valuing these things. Because she, she comes to realize that by sitting loose to my son, by saying, okay, I don't own you. I carried your body, I carried you around in my body for nine months, but I don't own you. That's a hard thing for a mom to say, or a friend to say, or a husband to say about his wife. I don't own you. 
God owns you. By doing that, she doesn't actually lose him. Look at verse 51. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. They, did not lo- they weren't losing a son. In the sense that they wanted to have that son, they never had him. He always belonged to God. In the sense that you wanted to have those kids, you never had them. They always belonged to God. But in the sense where you can come to value it, if you can treasure this in your heart, your relationship with them will actually be more fulfilling. What do I mean? How does that work? I don't, so to, to, to see your kids, to see your spouse, to see your parents, to see your friends as signpost to the one capital R relationship to which you belong fundamentally and forever, to see them as signpost will allow you to have a relationship with those people that you won't be owned by, but that will point you to God. If I could see my wife not as somebody that I own and control, but as somebody who is pointing me to the bridegroom of, who I'm, of whom I am the bride, I can start to love her within that relationship. I don't, I don't own her. I, I'm free to love her, though. I don't need to be distressed if she cooks dinner late. I don't, this is kind of a stupid thing to say. Sorry, bad example. That's not the kind of thing I would typically get upset. But if she kind of like gets a little snarky with me, I don't need to get distressed. I don't need, I don't need to freak out, why are you doing this to me, Harry? when he doesn't obey me. Why? Because his ultimate responsibility is not to me. My, my responsibility to train Harry to obey his parents is not because I need obedience, because I'm not God, but because God wants obedience out of him. And I'm free. Like, if Harry obeys me, I can be happy. If Harry doesn't obey me, I can be happy. I don't own him. He doesn't belong to me. He actually belongs to God. Super hard thing to live in that trust. It's a super hard thing to say. If you have a friend turn their back on you, it's a super hard thing to say, I didn't own them anyway. That's God. But if you can live in that, what it's going to do is it's going to liberate you in these relationships, and it's also going to point you to the one real relationship. Even a bad relationship can do this. Some of us have great fathers, and that, in the way that our fathers treated us and raised us and loved us, we can see echoes of our Heavenly Father. It's a great way to teach your kids about God is to not try to own them, but to love them for the sake of the one who loves them even more than you do. But for those of you who've had bad fathers, it's the same thing. Your knowledge of their badness and what they've done, and by the way, all, 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 all our fathers, none of our fathers actually fit into the good or the bad. They're all somewhere in the middle. They did good things and bad things. But when our fathers did bad things, when we do bad things for our kids, to teach our kids to see that as signpost that there's a father who's better than me. There's a father who loves you more than I do. Sometimes you ask me, can, can you come help me with something? And I say, I'll, yeah, I'll be there in a few minutes. And I don't show up for a couple hours. Your heavenly father will never do that. Sometimes I, sometimes I have these expectations of Angela that I know she's not going to fulfill, even while I'm having them. And it's not her problem. It's not her fault. And it's not my fault. You know what it is? It's a sign that what I'm really craving for is the marriage relationship that will never end. The marriage relationship to the one who perfectly loves me. The marriage relationship to the one who will satisfy my deepest needs to belong and to be accepted. And that's what Jesus is teaching Mary. Is that He's not saying I don't like you. He's going to go home and be submissive. He's not saying you're not my mom. He's just saying, hey, let's check out what this is all about. You know what this is about? This is about a father who loves us so much. Let's live in that. Let's think about that. Even more than think about it, let's treasure that in our hearts. Stand with me and let's pray and then we'll have communion. Let's pray. 
God, we always thank you for loving us, and we always thank you for being a good God to us. Uh, Father, we, we all admit that we have cravings for relationship. We want our kids to love us and to be in tune with us. We want our parents to love us and to um, be proud of us. We want our friends to enjoy us and to like being around us. But God, our relationships are so fraught with brokenness. And so first, I guess we should pray that you would heal those relationships. But second, Father, and maybe even more importantly in light of the text, help us to see that these relationships are just echoes of the relationship that you're calling us to with yourself. Help us to see in our friends and our kids and our sisters and our cousins and our coworkers and our spouses and our parents. Help us to see in them little foretaste, little little uh, hints of the perfect relationship that is on offer with you. Lord, in your mercy. God, help us to be selfless. Help us to walk away from this text, loving our family and our friends and our kids in such a way that we don't need back from them, that we just want to see you in them, and we want them to see you in us. And help us to help that deliberate us to love each other and to serve each other and to make much of each other by making much of you. Lord, in your mercy. God, be with everybody in this room now and who's watching this now, who's struggling with um, sickness. Um, some, some people in here are struggling with some really scary stuff with relationship issues. I know about some of them, God, but some people are too scared to even talk about it out loud because they don't want to be judged or because they think if they speak it out loud, it's going to actualize it and they'd like to pretend it's not really there. But God, help all of those people struggling with whatever it is they're struggling with to find hope and comfort and Sabbath rest in you and to know that you love them and all the things that their heart is aching for, Father, you're offering them offering them in your son, Jesus Christ. Be with people who have, again, to go back to the uh, medical issues, be with people who have uh, procedures upcoming or ongoing and uh, give them health and strength, uh, give them courage. Uh, most importantly, help all of us to live in light of your son's resurrection, believing that that power is at work even now in us through your Holy Spirit and will one day make us and all things new. Lord, in your mercy. We can only pray these things, Father, because your son Jesus loved us so much that he became like us, to live with us and to love us and to be our brother, to die for us, to be raised from the dead for us, to ascend and to rule over all things with us and for us. And so we boldly come into your throne room now as your children, praying this in his name. Amen. Let's confess our faith with the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now let's pray together in Jesus' name, the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, 
on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of all your sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Amen. You may be seated.
Man with man to dwell, Jesus. Oh. 